Welcome in to another edition of NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here, as always, with my guy, Kyle Irving. Kyle, what's good, man? Not a whole lot, man. A couple days off, a couple days away from basketball. You and I were just talking about it. Started watching some college hoops in the time off because, I mean, you got to fill that time somehow, but uh, I'm ready for the action to get back tomorrow. I'll say it's all-star break for us. We can't get away from basketball, right? We're watching college hoops. I'm locked in to Wake Forest and on the bubble, this, that, and the third. Terps, ups and downs hmm, for, for your Terps. Not Terps. so much. You know, we, still we still supporting. Yeah, still exactly, supporting, but exactly, yeah. Exactly. Still no playing, hopes. You know, through ups and downs. It's a real fan. Last episode of February, so I guess this is perfect, you know, segue. Next week, uh, we'll, we'll be talking March and March Madness. You know how that goes. But also, we're coming out of the all-star break and we're victim of it again. We got super hyped about it. We got super excited about it. And parts of it did live up to the hype and excitement, but some parts of it didn't. And that's the all-star game. East 211, 211, 211 points <laughs> in a basketball game. 50 points in each of the four quarters. Adam Silver, like you said it the other day, Adam Silver sounded like a disappointed teacher coming back after the sub. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yeah, yeah. I said I said Adam Silver sounded like he was the disappointed teacher after you have like a substitute teacher for the day and they leave like a long list of things that like the kids did that were like disrespectful in class. And the teacher comes back and is like, how could you do that when I was gone? That's exactly what Adam Silver sounded like. He's like, he's put up 211 points. That was nice. It's like all the players well, like goofing off in the background. They're like, well, yeah, sorry. You wanted to be competitive. Wasn't all that competitive. He said, he said well... Congratulations! Like he was, he was like, like at, at what cost? And it's it's funny because there, there's the report now that what was it? Andre Iguodala, Julius Irving, was it Larry Bird? Larry Bird gives, too. Yep. Give, giving pregame speeches on, on why it's so important to compete in the All Star game, and and we got that. And, and I think you and I have been optimistic so much in years past, and we got a good All Star game in 2020. 2022 in Cleveland was pretty good, too, because it was close down the stretch. We had the Steph performance and LeBron game winner, what have you. But everybody, I feel like this is the lowest of the low right now as anybody's kind of felt about the All-Star game. And I guess we won't talk too much about it because it's their second half of the season stuff, final stretch of the season stuff to talk about. But with coming off an All-Star game, I guess the question is, is it at the point of no return? Can, Can it even be fixed at this point? I'm not sure. Like the the All Star game, I I don't want to say that it can't be fixed because like at the end of the day, it is the best basketball players in the world who like if right. they all of a sudden just decide they care to compete again, it's going to be incredible again. It's just that yeah. like the way that it's been the last couple of years, we've seen. I mean, I think uh, I think Scott was the one that wrote about it over at the Sporting News, Scott Rafferty. But like out of like the four highest scoring games in All Star history, they they've all been in the last ten years. So this is kind of like a newer trend, even though it feels like this has been the norm for a while. Like that's not the case. Like I saw highlights on my timeline when people were like, do you remember this all-star game? And it was LeBron and Kobe not that long ago where like Kobe's picking up Ron full court in like the fourth Mm -hmm. quarter. And it's like a five point game. And the score was only like 120 something to like, that's a regular season score now, like 120 something to 115 or whatever. So, you know, it's, it feels like it's too far gone, but it also might not be like, it really just does come down to like what can get these guys to compete And like, I don't think that raising, the the you know winning salary or whatever it is like winning bonus from a hundred thousand dollars to five hundred thousand dollars is really going to get these guys to compete on like you know what really is their break so 
you know, I, I, it's tough to say they should go away from the all-star game altogether, but like, why not consider something like a three-on-three tournament between the East and the West, or like maybe like, you know, one-on-ones with like three dribble max, the way that we see at like Team USA camp over the summer mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, you know, as far as the all-star game goes, I, I think it's going to be tougher to fix. You know, all-star Saturday night, if, you, if you're looking for other ideas, I got you covered there. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, you, like you mentioned, uh, and we talked about it before going into it, right? Like how the three-point contest is, is kind of turned to the highlight. And this year we got Steph versus Sabrina, which also lived up to it. But talking about All-Star and, and the, the scoring thing specifically, I saw somebody make the point that, I mean, and this is no disrespect to prior generations. Some of the greatest players that we've ever seen in this game are from prior generations. And they're the reason why these guys are stars now, because they patterned their games after those guys. But I also think that it's not, disrespectful or blasphemous to say that this is probably the most skilled era of basketball that we've ever seen. And I say that to say these guys can really shoot the leather off the ball. Like we got Dane coming up to half court, shooting in his normal form pretty much with the toe on the half court line. No problem. And the game is really, and this is why three point contest is so exciting now because the game is so predicated on three point shooting. Now the floor is absolutely wide open. And it's not because guys aren't, like, doing anything. It's because everybody is kind of in their range, and they're kind of prone to shooting these three-pointers. And it's people who don't even shoot that many threes or shoot three-pointers. And you kind of have Luka and, and, and Jokic and the memes of them during All-Star Weekend were actually hilarious. Um, but they're just kind of there. They don't really care that much. But at least they're, you know, they're doing anything. Luka <laughs> tweeted halftime, like, analytics. He's a two-for-one <laughs> underhand. I respect that, honestly. Shot. And the craziest shot about – the crazy thing about that is I thought Luka was going to make it because he just – makes stuff like that it's Luka Doncic Mm -hmm. um but but it's I mean like we can't even get like Rico Hines offseason run level intensity out here man like the way those guys it's the same guys right they're getting after it but I do understand like you know it's your break um and and it's interesting because like people and this is kind of merging the modern day stuff with like the stuff in the past was that the whole point of all-star games in the past were that there wasn't that much coverage for these leagues, regardless of what league you're talking about. And fans did not get a chance to see all these players play all the time because there wasn't that much coverage and games weren't televised that much. So for one night, one weekend, all these guys are in the same arena on the same floor and you get a chance to see all of them at the same time. And it's huge. Now with NBA TV and league pass and games on TV every night and however else you decide to watch your basketball, People get to see the Thunder play. People get to see, you know, the Magic play. Guys who represented in the game, the, the Raptors are playing. People get to see that, and they kind of make their decisions on, on, on that. So I think that that's kind of uh, probably caused people to maybe take a, a long, hard look at, at what's going on. Um, you know, again, like we, we had a really competitive game just as recent as four years ago, or just as recent as two years ago. So I don't think it's it's broken beyond repair. I, I just don't think that, you know, having those – honestly, it kind of feels like getting a talking to from some of the greatest ever played a game and Andre Godala, who is a, probably a Hall of Famer, it, it probably makes them <laughs> want to go out there and, and compete even less. Cause like, <laughs> why do I need to get a talking to about competing? I'm, I play in the greatest basketball league in the world. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, to your point, like Jason Tatum before the all-star game was so excited to meet Larry Bird for the first time. But like, that doesn't mean that like, you know, he's sitting in the locker room and needs a pep talk from Larry Bird about like, you know, how they should be playing harder in the all-star game. Like they're, you know, I'm sure those guys walked out of the door and they all kind of just looked at each other and were like, 
yeah, okay. Like, yeah, all right. We're going to, we're going to compete a little bit harder just because why? Cause you, cause Adam Silver sent you guys to our locker room to tell us to compete harder. Like, I, I don't know if that was really the answer, but like all that to say, like, I do still just believe in like these guys being some of the most competitive people on the entire planet in thinking to themselves, you know, if you are thinking for myself, like if you were to put them in a half court three on three setting and all of a sudden KD gets Anthony Edwards on like one of his classic mid range pull-ups, well then Anthony Edwards is going to be like, all right, well give me the ball. I want to get him back. Mm -hmm. And like, then all of a sudden you're going to have competition. So like, you know, it's easy as you see at the end of like every like YMCA, like, you know, LA fitness pickup run, like at the end of the night or at the end of the day, like, the runs get lazy. It's easy to just leak out. Everybody stops playing yeah. defense. Like that's kind of the attitude they're approaching the all-star game with. But like, if you were to put these guys in that half court setting and really like kind of make it more like me versus you and not as much of just like a, Hey, run the open court and go get a layup or go get an open three. Like, I think you'd really just start to see the level of competition ramp up, especially because like people love like bracket style, single elimination. Like I think yeah. like the rising stars game, like, you know, even though there are some people that might not still like it, like I think that format has been successful. I tuned into it on Friday night. Like if that was just a regular rookie sophomore game, I mean, maybe I would have still tuned in, but I was looking forward to it more because of the elimination style that they've approached it with. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe just give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, you can always go back to it. And hey, worst case scenario, here's the easiest fix. Just let everybody wear their jerseys again like they used to back <laughs> in the early 2000s because it'll at least look cooler on the TV. Yeah, that, honestly, I can't think of a better fix than that. I, I like that uh, Rising Star suggestion. And, and I know even like it, even if you do like a tournament style and it's like 28 guys and you get more all-stars, that kind of kills two birds with right. a stone because I know we've been complaining about the fact that, you know, maybe there, there are too many snubs. There's so much talent in the league nowadays. Actually, that would give me – that would give the opportunity for something that I've been saying for a couple years now, which is you could make three teams of the actual all-stars or wh how, what, however you want to divide it up and then one okay. team of guys that got snubbed. And then mm. let them go out there and compete. So then you've got guys like, you know, Trey, well, Trey Young ended up being an all-star, but like if he stayed on that snubs list, De'Aaron Fox, Mona Sabonis, like whoever it is, then they're going out there and they're like, well, I'm going to go beat these guys because I should have been in that spot in the first place. So now, I mean, Hey, maybe you're, maybe that's, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's partic participation trophy, um, like type energy to like let the snubs still participate in the all-star game in a way, but it would also be a way to raise the level of competition. I bet you that. I like that. Tired is USA versus world wired is snubs versus all-stars. We got it. We got it fixed. So Adam Silver, if you don't want to be disappointed, please tune in to NBA sounds. And we got you <laughs> with all uh, of your solutions to all-star. Now all-stars in our rear view, about 25-ish games to go in the regular season, and that means we are in the stretch run. We talked about it a little bit uh, last week, but there's just so much uh, to dig into as the action gets back underway. Take a snapshot of the playoff picture. There are teams who are jostling for position outside of the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. That one's pretty much uh, sewed up by the Boston Celtics, but everything else is, is really up for grabs, at least tier-wise. So I think the thing that when we talked ahead of time, and, and I think we've adopted it, it's become just part of what we have accepted in, in the NBA regular season. It also shows that we're really welcome to change, but the play-in tournament, it, it's been such a big part of, of the season now. Now it's, you know, 10 teams are in the playoff picture, or at least the postseason picture, and it, it makes things interesting longer. So I think we, we start there. 
Um, last year, we, we just saw uh, two teams make deep runs a- after playing in the play-in tournament. So when you look at the, the, the picture right now and you see the teams, I think in the Western Conference, you've got the Kings in the picture and, and, and the Mavs and the Lakers and the Warriors. And it's pretty much set as far as that goes, but they could jump up or jump down. We talked about it in the East as well, Heat, Pacers, Magic. Nets are kind of hanging around a little bit, but then you, you also have – also, by the way, Nets have a new head coach, fired Jock Vaughn and replaced him with Kevin Allen. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Chicago Bulls, Atlanta Hawks. So when we, when we talk about the East and the West, who are we looking at? Jumping, falling, making deep runs? Like what, 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 where, where do we stand on the play-in picture? I think in the East, and we talked about this a little bit on the last pod, but like in the East it's really interesting because I, I could very easily see the Pacers, Heat, or Magic having a claim mm-hmm. to that number six spot and then the other two falling into that playing range. Um, and then, you know, I mean, the Raptors are, they're still, they're five games out of the playing tournament going into the second half, unofficial second half of the season. Um, you know, it's an uphill battle, but it's not impossible the same way, you know, for the Nets, even though they have a new head coach, two and a half games back, sometimes teams play better under a new head coach, just new energy, new blood in the new blood in the arena. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like, the Hawks are a team that are going to stay in that playing range to me. Like, I feel like they're, they're underachieving at this point. I think Trey Young is capable of lifting them up in in being a team that's going to be competing in the playoffs or in the playing tournament, trying to get into the playoffs. Uh, The Bulls are also starting to figure it out a little bit too. Now that guys are getting healthy. I mean, obviously Zach Levine's out for season, but you guys like got guys like Kobe White who are stepping up. Io DeSumo stepping up. Um, They're starting to find, you know, a little bit of continuity there. Um, So, you know, it's going to be tough for a team like the Raptors and Nets to crack that, but you know, when you're looking at the playing range versus the top six seeds in the East, I like the Heat to jump into that range just because, like we've been saying all along, they're kind of a sleeping giant. Like Bam Adebayo has been one of the best two-way players in the league this year, in my opinion. Um, you know, they got other guys that are contributing. Tyler Harrow has been, you know, solid as always. Jaime Jaquez, you know, Caleb Martin, Haywood Highsmith, like they, they're finding contributors out of the woodworks. And then you have Jimmy Butler who, like, I mean, to be just completely honest, like, has he even started trying yet? Like, I, I feel like we're about to get to that point in the season where we start to see him kind of turn into playoff Jimmy the way that we have the past couple of years. So, you know, I like their chances to jump up into that number six seed. But at the same time, like, the Pacers just made a big move to bring in Pascal Siakam. And, you know, I think they're seven and eight in the 15 games that he's played. But Tyrese Halliburton hasn't played in every single one of those games. Uh, you know, uh, they're starting to or they're going to try and get those two uh, synced up in the second half of the season so they can hopefully stay in that top six range. That's why they made that type of all-in move at the trade deadline. So, you know, I could easily see them holding it down too. And then you got the Magic, who at one point were as high as second in the Eastern Conference, like 20-something games, 25 games into the season. They eventually came back down to earth. But Paolo Bencaro is playing at an all-star level, looking like a future franchise cornerstone. Him and Franz Wagner are playing really well together. They have a top five defense in the NBA, which is actually crazy. Like if if you haven't Mm -hmm. been watching them night in and night out, and I'm not saying I have been, but I have tuned into a lot of their games because I like watching Paolo and Franz Wagner play. Uh, I mean, they're really talented defensively because they're so long and they have so many guys. I mean, Jonathan Isaac and and Wendell Carter, like that's four guys in their starting lineup who are like six, nine or taller, six, eight or taller, which is crazy. So, you know, that length is disrupting other teams. And when you're that good defensively, like that's a good, you know, kind of baseline to sit on of of how you can rise up in the standing. So, you know, those are kind of the teams I have my eyes on in the East, but I would kind of think that, you know, bearing a, a major run from the Nets or Raptors, like I feel pretty confident about those 10 teams. Um, you know, obviously we talked about the teams at the top, but like the Heat, the Magic, the Bulls, and the Hawks being the teams that kind of, you know, float to the top and, and end up in the playing tournament range. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. It's interesting, um, you know, to kind of look at the, at the where where things are right now. And, and my my answer about the Heat is funny because I could see the Heat jumping out of the play-in tournament picture and getting a top six seed. I could see them stumbling and staying in the play-in tournament picture. But I'll take it a step further, and they're going to prove me wrong for saying this. But I also could see them similar to what happened to the Clippers uh, a couple years ago when. They lost their first play in tournament game in Minnesota when the Timberwolves threw a party. And then they went back home and just lost to the Pelicans. They, they crumbled late because they were out they were without Paul George in that game. I, I could see the Heat just really falling anywhere. And, and that's every season for the Heat. But, you know, you mentioned Jimmy Butler. And, and I'm curious, you know, just thinking about, you know, obviously one, hoping the best for him. I know he suffered a loss in the family. And that's why he's away from the team right now. But that's, you know, on top of that. Terry Rozier's injury, we talked about this. They had that terrible game against the Celtics in which they just lost people, uh, you know, left and right. I'm curious when Jimmy's back, you know, at at what point are we still going to just be like, oh, yeah, he's going to flip the switch. Like, you know, he's not as young as he once was. And and this almost feels crazy to say coming off of the playoff run that he had last year. But, like, I don't know how many of those he has left in them as, as the team is constructed right now. I just see them having a, a more difficult time in the East than they did last year. You know, Giannis got hurt in the first round. I'm not saying it was fluky at all because Tyler Hero got hurt. They lost, a, a, you know, obviously Tyler Hero, Giannis. It's an uneven balance right there, but you know, Giannis gets hurt. The Bucks were a great matchup for them. The Knicks were a great matchup for them. Um, you know, they had the Celtics were a great matchup for them, and that's what playoffs are about. But will they get that fortunate again? I, I could see them run into a crazy matchup in the in the play in the play in tournament, like. The Hawks ran them out of their own building last year in the playing tournament. So, you know, it, it could easily go any way for the Heat, and they're really intriguing for me. But another one, I'm curious, you know, we talk about Joel Embiid and his injury, and the Sixers have not necessarily been playing great ball going into the All-Star break. They are kind of in danger of, of, of stumbling a little bit, so maybe they fall into the playing tournament picture too. I don't expect that, but I also recognize it as a possibility. Yeah, that's only, you know, it's only a two and a half game difference. And it's mm-hmm. almost like when I'm looking at the standings, I've like kind of forgot that, not forgot that Joel Embiid is out, but like forgot that it's a possibility that they could be one of the teams that does fall out of that range. It just is that like, you know, Tyrese Maxey has been so good when Embiid is mm-hmm. out. Like Tobias Harris, honestly, has been better than people are giving him credit for when Embiid is out. Like they have guys that have been stepping up. And I do think that just like the nucleus of that team in general is like better than a lot of those teams that we're talking about in the playing range. And I mean, hey, Ramona Shelburne from ESPN today reported that the 76ers expect Joel Embiid to be back at some point this season. So who knows when that actually comes? Who knows if it'll be early enough in the regular season where if they were to go on a little bit of a slide, that he would be able to come back and save the day. Like that's probably not all that likely. They're going to make sure that he is as healthy as possible for the postseason and hope that the roster they have kind of put together to this point without him is good enough to stay in that top six. But I honestly do feel like it is. Like, I feel like Tyrese Maxey is capable of keeping that team afloat. And I think we're going to, I mean, hey, we're going to find out sooner rather than later once the season gets back underway tomorrow. I mean, at the time of recording. So I am curious to see where the Sixers end up. But I do feel pretty confident they are still one of those top six teams in the East. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's interesting to think about because, you know, imagine if they do stumble a little bit, I, I, they're a playoff team regardless. But man, how much of a headache would that be if you end up grinding all year to get a top three seed in, in the Eastern Conference? And I don't think the, the Sixers are going to fall as far uh, as eight, but if they're seventh or sixth, then you are, you know, Milwaukee or you're New York or you're Cleveland and you draw 
Joel Embiid rounding back into form in, in the playoffs. And hopefully he's gotten the injury misfortune out of his way now because typically it happens in the playoffs with him. And and he's and he's doing that. And you've got Tyrese Maxey playing the way that he's playing. I don't think anybody wants to see them. That's, you know, a bridge that you'll cross when we get there because more than likely uh, the Sixers are going to finish in that top six. And I'm sure they'll be jostling for home court advantage. We'll see how that goes. Now, over the Western Conference, real quick before we take it to a break, I kind of have similar feelings about Dallas that I that I do uh, with Miami. They've been playing pretty good basketball lately, but they also haven't been necessarily playing the toughest opponents. Um, Luka is Luka. Um, they, they brought in reinforcements. We talked about P.J. Washington. We talked about Daniel Gafford. Kyrie is also Kyrie. Um, and they've gotten some good contributions from the guys. Derek Lively has been one of the better rookies uh, this year, also stood out in that Rising Stars Challenge. Um, but when I look at them, I also see them as a team that, like, you know, they could run into some adversity in the play and tournament if they're still in that area. I also kind of, like, you know, if Dallas is playing the Lakers in a winner-take-all Game 7 type situation, I don't know how – a lot of it depends on where it is, but I also kind of side with, you know, the Lakers maybe. Maybe that's, maybe that's on me for, for going against Luka in a Game 7 type situation. Um, but I, I just have – I don't know – how I view them right now because they can be all over the place and I don't know what version of them we'll get in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, the way that like the playing tournament in the West is structured right now, like this is why the playing tournament has been so widely accepted. Like, could you imagine if we ended up with a 9-10 winner go home matchup between the Lakers and Warriors and then sure. a 7-8 matchup between the Kings and Mavericks where the loser would mm. play the winner of Lakers-Warriors to get that final playoff spot? Like, that would be as good as, like, the playoffs itself. Like, that's exactly right. what we're here for. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, I, I don't necessarily think that's how the standings end up shaking out in the West. Um, I do think the Lakers have a legit chance now that, like, you know, if LeBron can get his ankle right and, and Anthony Davis locks in the way that he has been when he's healthy so far this season, like, I do think that they could float up to the, to the top six of the conference. Um, I think that, like, you know, the Suns are a team who, even though they've been playing really good basketball lately and it feels like they're starting to click now that Beal's back in the lineup and, and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are starting to get, you know, kind of familiar again and, and they added uh, reinforcements at the trade deadline with guys like Royce O'Neal. Like, I feel like they are starting to figure things out. But at the same time, like, obviously you don't wish any injury on anybody, but like them more so than any other team are one injury away from like mm-hmm. going from fifth place to, I mean, who knows? They could even be out of the playing tournament range if right. it's Durant or Booker who has to miss, you know, significant amount of time. So like, I'm not 100% confident they're a team that finishes in the top six the same way as the Pelicans. Although the Pelicans, I give them a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt because Zion Williamson is not even playing the best basketball that we are that we have seen him be capable of playing, and they're still a top six team in the West. So I do kind of feel like you know they're a team that even though I think they're somewhat they're a team that a lot of people would pick to fall into that playing range, I, I could see them sticking in that top six. But you know Dallas is a team that I expect to jump into that top six. So whether that's taking Phoenix's spot or New Orleans' spot, I see it just because Kyrie Irving has been in and out of the lineup. I really like the new additions that they made. Derek Lively has been in and out of the lineup, and it feels like they're getting healthy at the right time at, for this home stretch of the season to make a little bit of a run. So I do think that they jump up into that top six but you know i mean the lakers warriors like those are two teams that started playing their best basketball right before the all-star break Mm -hmm. and i don't think that's a coincidence like those are obviously teams that have a ton of vets on them that have a ton of more championship experience on those rosters and probably the rest of the nba combined at this point and (laughs) it feels like they are kind of poised to really lock in focus up in 
and try and make that push so they can avoid the playing tournament altogether. So I, I think the West is really, really interesting, like even more so in the East, just because of the sole reason that the teams that are in the East playing range, like, I, I mean, I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Like, I don't know how much noise they could really make in the playoffs mm-hmm. unless it is like a team like the Heat that falls into that playing range where like the teams in the West, like Dallas, Maybe not Sacramento just because they've been so wishy-washy on both ends of the floor this year. But like Dallas, the Lakers, the Warriors, like those are all teams that all they have to do is get in and they could easily win a playoff series and go on a run. Right. And and take it a step further. They're teams that no top seed would really want to have to deal with, even if they're better. And you know, you have to beat the best to 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 get where you want to go. But like you don't want to have to deal with game planning for Steph for a seven game series. Nobody wants to have to deal with that, especially in the first round of the playoffs. So I, I do certainly think that you think about like Draymond coming back and rounding back in the form clay, potentially accepting that bench role uh, to, to, to be something that could be a, a big step for this Warriors team, but also the Lakers have been here before. They're kind of starting to show some signs uh, of what they did last year when they really locked in for that final stretch of the season and knew that every game was pretty much a must win game. Um, you know, LeBron looked fine. That ankle looked fine in the all-star game. But I think we have to remind ourselves he is 39 years old. So if he is going to sit on a nationally televised game, the first game out of all-star break, they must be one to take the the, the, the right type of uh, precautions with the bigger picture in mind. And the bigger picture is, you know, trying to win those winnables um, and maybe a game in the Bay isn't as, as winnable. We saw what it took last time for them to win there. Uh, and then really just try to focus on that final stretch and that playing tournament push, if that is the case, um, potentially having to win, you know, two games, you know, in a, in a span of three days and then go straight into the playoffs. So we'll see how that goes. We'll talk a little more about teams at the top of the standings in each conference once we come back from a quick break. We talked about teams that are in the play-in tournament picture, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not contenders, but we have to talk about the teams that are more or less contending teams. And we talked a little bit about the Celtics really being head and shoulders above the rest of the Eastern Conference. The Bucks are figuring it out. Um, you know, the Cavaliers have been hot. The Knicks dealing with a lot of injuries. Uh, who knows what's going on? There's been weird reporting around Julius Randle, like avoiding surgery, but also like trying to come back by the end of the year. Mitchell Robinson might be coming back. Uh, by the postseason. So that's going on in the Eastern Conference. In the Western Conference, four teams could end up with the number one seed, and I would not be surprised either way, be it Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Denver, or the L.A. Clippers. It's going to be an interesting race uh, each each side in the East and Western Conference. You had a good question, you know, ahead of this, and I don't know if it's considered a surprise if it's one of those eight teams that we just named, but when you talk about I mean, the Heat defined surprise run to the finals last year. I don't think we'll ever see a run to the finals that's more surprising than that. Some might match it, but I don't think we'll ever see anything that's more surprising than that. That being said, if there is a team who it's like, you know what, I don't see it happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happens going to this year's finals. Is it more than one team or is it is it a team from the East or the West or, or how do you see it playing out or potentially playing? Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's tough to call it a surprise because, like, we're talking about the teams that are the best in the league, like, have the best records in the league. But, like, you know, like, is it is it crazy to say, like, the Oklahoma City Thunder? Like, is that a fair answer? Like, they're, I mean, they're That's fighting fair. for That's the fair. first seed in the West. You know, they're a game and a half back from first place. They're 37-17 and 17 at the All-Star break. But, like, I don't think anybody 
like, you know, when people go to fill out their playoff brackets after the brackets finalized, like how many people are really going to pick the, the Oklahoma City Thunder to come out of the West? Like probably not that many because a lot of people are going to lean towards the more experienced teams like Denver, like the LA Clippers, even though they have a lot of guys who haven't won a ring yet. I mean, they have Kawhi Leonard who has won a ring, multiple rings, and has proved that he can carry teams before as long as he's healthy. I mean, I would even think there are going to be more people that are picking like the Lakers or Warriors to potentially upset the the Thunder if they were to play them in that first round after the playing tournament, then there would be people who pick the Thunder to go all the way. But like, why not OKC? Like, why not Shea, why not Shea Gilgis-Alexander who is playing at an absolutely ridiculous level uh, entering the all-star break with what I think it's the second most total points and the most steals in the league, like getting it done on both, both ends of the floor, averaging 30 points per game. He's an all, he's an all-star and MVP caliber player. He's going to be first team all NBA. Most likely, at least it feels like he's trending in that direction. And then you have guys like Jalen Williams, J dub who has proved that he is a future all-star. You have guys mm-hmm. like Chet Holmgren, who, even though he's a rookie and he's in the rookie of the year race, like he is playing defensive player of the year caliber basketball and is anchoring that top five defense. You have guys like, you know, Josh Giddy, who a lot of people aren't talking about what he's doing much, but he's still a solid facilitator. Guys like Casey Wallace who are coming off the bench, making an impact. Like the list goes on and on of guys that they have that are stepping up and filling their roles perfectly. And they play good defense and they have, you know, that, that kind of like, player who you can kind of just toss Shea a grenade and he's going to find a way to get you a bucket down the stretch when the game slows down and it gets a little bit more physical. So, you know, they have a couple different guys who can create their own shots and score. They have a couple different guys who are versatile on the defensive end. I feel like they're a team that, you know, even though they're, I think a lot of people are going to pick against them, why can't they string together a couple playoff series wins? And obviously that is extremely, extremely, um, you know, probably forward thinking for a team that has never won a playoff series or even participated in a playoff series together. But why not, why can't they keep up, you know, the success they've had in the regular season and, and translate that to the playoffs? Cool thing about them is that, you know, they have Shea and Lou Dort who did it together as youngins. You know, I didn't even mean to now. leave. I didn't even mean to leave <laughs> Lou Dort out either. I didn't even say Lou Dort's name. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA too. Yeah. Like the, he's another guy who can contribute. Right. Absolutely. And Gordon Hayward was on the way, um, you know, like, but they have Shane and Lou Dort who played in a seven game series and were a couple of plays away from getting to the second round in the playoffs four years ago as young guys. And that's invaluable experience that most teams that are young teams like that don't have that to be said about the young guys that contribute on their team. Right. Um, you know, I think about that. I think about last year and their experience in the play-in tournament, you know, you mentioned Shea, throw whatever at him, he figures it out. They got that win in New Orleans last year, ended up going to Minnesota and couldn't get it done. But that is huge experience for, you know, Jalen, J.W. Williams, and some of the other guys who at least know what postseason basketball is like. It's not playoff basketball, but it is postseason basketball. So when you think about, you know, I think a lot of times younger teams get written off because it's like, oh, they need to experience their bumps and bruises and they, they need to pay their dues before they get past the team like the Lakers or the Mavs or the Warriors in the first round, the Kings, wherever they end up playing. And it's going to be tough. I think the way what we've said about the Western Conference is not going to be easy. There's not anybody where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, this is a good first round matchup, kind of like there would be in the Eastern Conference. But they're built for that. They don't They don't have the record that they have by mistake. So I do like the Thunder pick. I guess I'll ask the same question because, I, you know, is it a surprise or not? We've talked about this and I actually um, did a radio spot uh, last week and they asked me, OK, like, who is the biggest threat to the Celtics in the Eastern Conference? They had this huge cushion 
and you know these teams or whatever and i'm sure you might know the answer that i gave him who's the biggest threat to the celtics and the biggest threat to the celtics is the celtics like we've learned this in in years past and you know they all they have been head and shoulders above the rest of the eastern conference that being said we felt the same way last year and, and you look back and i and, and like you know that final series like you know you Sorry, Kyle, but you simulate that final series like 10 times. They probably win it eight, right? Like that's like the the reality of, of where they are right now. And getting over that hump is a real thing. And it's like, until we see them do it, we have to see them do it. And I think that opens the door slightly for those teams that fall in after them. And, and I think when I look at teams in the Eastern Conference, I look at the Cavs and I'm still a little soured, you know, by the way they got eliminated last year. And, and I think they said the lights were too bright. I'm out. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I look at the Bucks and everything that's going on right now with Doc and saying this and saying that and Giannis not watching basketball and Dame, you know, all this and all that. I'm out. The Knicks, though. I know I just mentioned like the laundry list of things that are going on with them and injury to Mitchell Robinson, injury to Julius Randle, injury to OG Ananobi. They've been really banged up. But, you know, there's something to be said about the vibes around that Knicks team, the identity of that Knicks team, you know, similar to what you were saying about the Thunder and just having guys that can play if they can get healthy, having, you know, really going kind of too deep at every position if they want to, you know, whether it's, you know, Robinson Hartenstein and, um, you know, Randall and Precious Achua and OG Ananobi and Dante DiVincenzo and Josh Hart, obviously Jalen Brunson being the head of the snake, um, you know, everything that they've done there and bringing in, Bogdanovich and Alec Burks to contribute in spots. And I'm probably not naming everybody that I've said, but that's a pretty deep rotation, especially considering it's Tom Thibodeau. And he's probably going to play seven or eight guys for about 42 minutes a piece uh, when, when the time comes around. But, you know, just thinking about a team where like, you know what you're going to get from them pretty much night in and night out. And in a playoff series, if you come in to play that team and you're not ready, they will steal game one on the road from you. And then they, you might have a cold shooting night and they will be consistent at least with what they do effort wise. Well, now they're halfway to winning the series. And I could see them crafting a finals run based on matchups, based on being prepared for each matchup and based on taking advantage. So it wouldn't necessarily be a surprise run, but I, I don't think that they're necessarily a finals favorite right now. Um, but, but it is cool to see the energy around that team and basketball being back. You said it, you know, regardless of how people might feel about New York sports as a whole, like it is a likable team. And it's kind of funny, like Knicks fans are who they are and they can be a bit obnoxious sometimes, but also like, it's kind of like you feel bad for them a little bit because like they really have dealt with like some really, really bad teams and like really promising moments that led to nothing. So it's, it's cool to see them actually have something that seems tangible to, to, to kind of rally around. I think that's what makes them a little more likable than when other New York sports teams find some success. Well, they're also Giants and Yankees fans, so I'm not going to feel too bad for them, but I kind of know what and, you mean. And you don't feel bad for me anymore. <laughs> no, no. But honestly, like, I mean, I, I think first off, like right off the top, I couldn't agree with you more. The Celtics' biggest uh, challengers themselves like they have to get over the their own hump of like mm -hmm. you know they just continue to get in their own way and they turn the ball over and the offense gets stagnant late in games and they're too reliant on jt and jb to go get them a bucket and 
you know, I, I think that this year's team is different with Christoph Porzingis because he gives them an element they haven't had. Uh, Drew Holiday is another player who can contribute. I mean, Derek White, if he can continue to contribute the way that he has this season, the way that he did last postseason, they have a number of different ways they can beat you now, and they just need to keep that ball moving the way they do during the regular season when they look like the world beaters they've been at times this season. But I couldn't agree with you more that I really would pick the Knicks as the team that like they do not want to see in the playoffs. Like that is the exact blueprint of a team that I mean, even if you were to look over the last two years, the matchups between the Knicks and the Celtics, like if you were to look at the combined point differential of their matchups, I don't know it off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me, but I bet you it would be less than like 25 points out of the last like eight matchups or whatever it is, however many times they face over the last couple of seasons. And that's because the Knicks are physical, man. Like they get really physical. And that's why the Celtics struggle against the heat time in and time again during in and we saw it in the playoffs last year. We saw it in the playoffs, even that when they beat them in a seven game series to get to the NBA finals, like the heat get physical, they get physical with Jalen, they get physical with Jason. And those two guys don't necessarily love playing physical. The team as a whole doesn't really react well to a team that plays physical against them. And then, you know, the Knicks, like you said, like they're a team that the Cavs found out the hard way last year. Were they the better team than the Cavs? Like, were they a better team than the Cavaliers last year? I would still say right now, no, they were not a better team than the Cavaliers last year, but they played harder. They made them play their style of basketball. Julius Randle and Mitchell Robinson got physical down low. Jared Allen and Evan Mobley did not know how to react. And next thing you know, they stole that series and in, in advanced in the playoffs. Like that is the exact, this team, this Knicks team is more talented than that Knicks team last year. And they still play the same brand of scrappy kind of like junkyard basketball that they want to play games that are like, you know, 90 scores of the 1990 scores of games that are in the 90s in low 100s. And those are the types of matchups they've had even against Boston, which is putting up 120 points per 100 possessions this season. Like that is the exact type of team the Celtics do not want to have to face. I, I know for a fact they would probably rather the Knicks get knocked out somewhere along the line. And, you know, maybe you're listening and you're thinking I'm crazy because, oh, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo this and Joel Embiid that, but like, like if we're being honest, like Boston has had Milwaukee and Philly's number the last couple of years. Like even though Al Horford feels right. like he's a hundred years old at this point, like the guy gets up for those <laughs> matchups against Giannis Antetokounmpo and Joel Embiid. And he plays both those guys really well And the team defense that they play against those guys forces other players to beat them other than Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo. So like, I'm not saying the the Celtics are welcoming like a potential first round matchup against the Sixers if they fall into the playing range and then Embiid gets healthy. Like that's not what I'm sitting here saying. It's just that like, I genuinely feel like they would be more, I mean, they're going to be confident no matter who they're playing because when they're playing at their best, the only team that can beat them is themselves, like you said. But like, if they were to get faced up against the Bucks or the 76ers, the conference semifinals or conference finals, like I'm telling you right now, they would welcome that matchup more than a physical, like six, seven grinded out game series against the Knicks where they're really going to have to earn that. And they're going to have to fight through physical basketball and earn every single possession on the offensive end. Like I, I can confidently say that right now. No, hundred percent. And I think that's like, we're on the same page with that. And I think that's just what it is. Like the, the brand of basketball having an identity. And I think that's kind of maybe, I know I used examples when I when I mentioned the Cavs last year and I mentioned the Bucks last year. I think those teams just haven't really figured out, you know, exactly what that identity is. And I think the Knicks having that figured out is something to be said about that. Um, you know, with teams that kind of have that, it's easier to, to to see a path for those teams. Not necessarily to mean that there's not one for those other teams. Um, and, and it's funny to talk about the Cavs. It is wild to like look at them as being a elite team in the Eastern Conference, like 
and LeBron James isn't on the roster. Like, it's something we've never seen, literally never seen in our lifetimes. Like, a, te- a Cavaliers team that doesn't feature LeBron James, I mean, we saw it last year. But, like, seeing it now, like, could be a 50-win team and, like, you know, really finish in the top two in the Eastern Conference. It is pretty crazy to see. That being said, I mentioned that I, I might have some Cavs names down here, so it's a good segue. Um, you know, one thing you talked about was, was, was guys who could – individuals who could have – breakout second halves of the season and also individuals who might leap into the MVP conversation. The answer could be the same person, but it also could be different answers that maybe are related. But um, when thinking about that and looking at the individual standpoint, this final stretch of the season, teams making these pushes and players propelling them to those pushes, um, who you got in mind? One person that I kind of like alluded to it earlier, but one person that I actually think could have a pretty big second half of the season that people aren't really talking about as long as he can stay healthy is Kyrie Irving. Like he's someone that Mm. like he, I mean, when you're playing with Luka Doncic, the conversation is always going to be around Luka Doncic, but I really do love the moves that the Mavs made at the deadline. And now that Kyrie is back on the court and healthy, as long as he can stay healthy and he is another one of those players that, you know, I mean, that is, it feels like it's always the disclaimer with him, but like he's really important to their success as Luca's 1B, and he has to be able to take pressure off of Luca if they're going to rise up into that top six in the West. So Kyrie Irving is a player that I, I kind of have my eye on to see if he can wake up and get back to, you know, that all-star caliber. Like I can go give you a 30 on any given night type player to, to really help Dallas rise into the top. And then the Eastern Conference, I'm not sure. I mean, Donovan Mitchell was someone that comes to mind because he's already breaking out like crazy. And I know you said you have some Cavs names written down on your list as well. I mean, he's to me like kind of already flirting with entering the MVP conversation with the way that he was playing going into the all-star break. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, I guess if I were to just throw another name at you, like uh, Pascal Siakam is going to be a really important player in the second half of this season. I don't know if I would call him a breakout player candidate, but he's someone that is going to be vital to the Pacers trying to claim that number six seed as well. So I guess it's kind of changing from, from this is more turning into like X factors than it is like breakout players. But I do think Pascal Siakam is someone who, you know, he was already averaging basically the same numbers that he was putting up as the number one guy on the Raptors during the 15 games that he's played with the Pacers. And we've only seen a small sample size of him and Tyrese Halliburton playing together. He's shooting the ball well over there. They need him. And I cannot stress this enough, need him to step up on the defensive end because that team is so bad on defense. And, you know, I think you said it earlier, like, uh, in a podcast previously, but if they were even just a half decent defensive team, like they probably have one of the best records in the NBA because of how good they are on offense, but they can't figure it out on the defensive end. So, you know, it's really important that Pascal gets back to kind of like that scrappy, versatile defender that he was when, you know, he was kind of the second, third guy, whatever you want to call him, to Kyle Lowry and, and Kawhi Leonard on those Raptors teams. But, you know, I think he's going to be another really, really important player down the stretch of this season where, you know, he has to go out and prove why the, the Pacers felt like he was worth a win now, potentially like half season rental, even though it, it feels like he is going to resign in Indiana at the end of the season. I mean, things could change based on how the season ends, but he's another player that I have my eye on of, you know, once he really starts to get into a groove with Tyrese Halliburton, can he get back to that all-star borderline all-NBA level? Yeah, yeah. Pascal's a guy who, I mean, you know, I've watched some some Pacers games and like one game he'll look like he's figured it out, but the next game is like still settling in and, and, and still learning, you know, playing with new guys, especially a guy like Tyrese Halliburton who will make the game so much easier for him. Just hasn't had as many opportunities to do that yet, just do the injury and minutes restrictions and things of that nature. One thing they did in that first game, together i saw like pascal did a lot of dribble handoffs and kind of got into his 
his mid-range pull-up, you know, from, from the dribble handoff. So I think that's something we'll see a lot from them. Um, we'll see more, you know, of him initiating the offense for their second unit. So I think that'll be something that allows him to get going um, for them. And he'll be kind of the guy that he is. Two guys that I that I had as far as potentially maybe breaking out, one very close to, to the cast, close to Donovan Mitchell in proximity, but his backcourt mate Darius Garland, um, you know, thinking about him kind of, Coming on strong, it's kind of weird calling him a breakout just because similar to Kyrie, dealt with injuries, you know, uh, broke his jaw. I think I saw somebody had his jaw wired shut for a few weeks. Yep. Um, through the so wire, like, baby. It's going to take some – yeah, it's going through the wire. It's going to take some time, you know, for him to just get back into his form. Um, but but I think seeing him, he could be a guy who's kind of like X factor that allows that cast team to get to another level. And there's so many other guys around him that other teams have to worry about. You know, and, and he – we, we've seen how explosive he can be when he's at his best. So – Thinking about him is the guy, but the other guy who I really was looking at is Zion. You know, we talked a little bit about it, and you kind of alluded yep. to it without even knowing, um, you know, in the first half of the show and just saying that, like, he has another level that he probably can tap into, and we haven't really seen it yet. He even said it himself, um, post-game presser uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. He was like, you know, um, you know, I'm getting back to the Zion that I, that I know I can be, where I can be dominant you know, in all facets of the game and really just somebody that you don't want to get in the in the way of. And the things that we, we've we seen him do so far in his career, and I think it's interesting because as a whole, people uh, were so quick to rag on him for appearing to be out of shape and his inability to stay on the floor. And if those two things go hand to hand, this, that, and the third, now he's balling, everybody's kind of quiet, and not saying anything. I think some people are maybe worried that, you know, we haven't seen him yet in the playoffs and like, can he get to the finish line? Can he get to the finish line healthy? And that's why I have my eye on him just because we haven't seen him yet in the playoffs. And I'm excited to see, you know, what playoff Z uh, would look like. And, and, and I think that so long as he can get healthy, stay healthy, um, that, that Pelican team around him, got a lot of talent and a lot of people to worry about. So I'm excited. And, and maybe, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a stretch, you know, where he, he rings off. He starts to kind of sense the playoffs are near and he rings off, you know, six to eight straight 30 point games. And everybody's like, wait, Zion's been playing like this all year. And then they kind of pay attention. And I think people get back in on him because he is special. And, and we've learned about that. So there's that. I did like you mentioned Donovan Mitchell. I did say he could be a guy just, again, proximity to the cast, top of the standings kind of leading to that MVP conversation. And the other one, we've talked about it. So is it even leaping into the MVP conversation at this point? But Kawhi Leonard, this is probably the greatest chance he'll ever have, ever, ever have to win a regular season MVP. Um, he's been available. He's been awesome. He has the strangest NBA resume, two defensive players of the year, two finals MVPs, and then like no MVPs, like like not that many regular season accolades. But this is the year, if, if it is in a year. Yeah, I think, well, before you got to Donovan Mitchell and Kawhi Leonard, I think my favorite part about the four names that we brought up in Kyrie, Pascal Siakam, uh, Darius Garland, and Zion Williamson is that those are like the four players who, if they are playing at the highest level they are capable of playing at, mm -hmm. they can lead their team on runs. Like they can be right. the X factors mm -hmm. that, you know, are, are the one Bs that can really elevate a team from oh yeah, maybe the Pacers are fun and they lose in the first round of the playoffs. Oh, well, Pascal Siakam is playing at an all-NBA level. Well, now they're going to win a playoff series. Like that, I yep. feel like same with Darius Garland. Like he is someone who is so vital to the Cavs' success. And it's crazy they've been as good as they have been without him playing at that level. And, and this team 
you know, I, I completely agree with you. I'm still a little snake bit from how like shell shocked and, and scared of the moment they looked against the Knicks last year. But like, you know, Jared Allen's been playing at a really high level. Evan Mobley, he since has. he's been back from injury, he's been awesome. Their biggest issue last year, they had no shooting. They found that in Max Struess and Sam Merrill. So like they found guys to fill their biggest needs. And, and now if Darius Garland can get back to playing at an all-star level, like they're a team that could go on a legitimate run as well. And then, you know, we talked about the Pelicans, like they've been playing this well without Zion Williamson playing at the highest of his abilities. Right. And I completely agree that he is the type of player that, you know, all of a sudden if he is as healthy as he says he is right now and he can stay healthy. We could watch him go on a crazy stretch here that takes New Orleans from like the fringe of the playing tournament to now they're knocking on the door of being in that conversation with the Nuggets, Clippers, Thunder, and Timberwolves fighting for the number yeah. one seed the way that they were before Zion got hurt last year. So I really like yeah. you know that, that group of four players in particular because they are so like crucial to their team's success. And they are the types of players that can help their teams break through that glass ceiling of how good can this team really be? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you were saying MVP stuff real quick. Um, and then we talked with Luca, Giannis, Jokic, SGA. Those are the guys who are kind of firmly in that conversation. Kawhi seems like he's right there too. Um, I don't know. And it's funny, we talked about the whole Jason Tatum thing and, and people have kind of taken issue with whether he should be in the conversation or not. We've kind of talked about that. Um, and, and I know we said that if Giannis isn't really in it, then Jason Tatum should really be in it, and, you know, and beads out, whatever. Um, but is that fair? Kawhi, Donovan Mitchell, maybe the two outsiders and people maybe are kind of have longer shots that could end up kind of making a, a big push to maybe win the award in the year. Well, you know, I mean, I, I said the thing about Giannis, but I see these MVP ladders popping up and he's still like third on <laughs> the there. MVP ladder. And I mean, that could be a rant in its own. I mean, I understand the guy's playing unbelievable basketball. I think I saw the other day, he he has the chance to be the first player in NBA history to average over 30 points per game at 60% shooting from the field. I'm not, you know, knocking what Giannis has done. I just don't understand how you could be an MVP candidate when your team is underachieving their what their preseason expectations were. So that's my only hesitation there. I do feel like Jason Tatum should be in the MVP conversation more than he has been to this point in the season. And I do think that like, oddly enough, that conversation has started to happen over the all-star break without him playing any games. Like, I think it's just a moment where there isn't basketball on every night. So people really take a step back and look at the standings and look at the stats. And they're like, Oh wait, this guy's averaging 27 points per game. He's averaging like 27, eight, five, a steal and a block per game on the best team in the NBA. Why aren't we talking about this guy in the MVP conversation? So it is kind of nice to see his name start to join those players in that convo. But, you know, I, I do think that, like, you know, if, if Tatum is a fringe MVP candidate right now, I think he belongs in that list along with Kawhi Leonard, Donovan Mitchell, guys who could mm. jump into that everyday conversation that we're having. But at the same time, like, I, I really remain firm that if OKC finishes with the number one seed, how is Shea not the MVP? And I understand Jokic is like, sleepwalking his way to what feels like a 30-point triple-double like almost every night. And kind of the same way that I said, have we seen Jimmy Butler really start trying yet? Like, are have we seen Nikola Jokic start trying yet this season? Like, I, I honestly don't know. I think that I think we are going to see him flip that switch starting as soon as tomorrow. But, you know, if if the Thunder finish ahead of the Nuggets in the standings, I don't know how Jokic could win MVP over Shea Gildas-Alexander, who has been carrying OKC this entire season. So, you know, I do think that, like, you know, Luca is going to be in that conversation because he's averaging 34 points per game. And even though the Mavericks are in the playing tournament and because it does feel like people have wanted to give him an MVP trophy for a little bit now, 
Um, I do think that Shea and Jokic are in that conversation, but I also do believe firmly that, you know, specifically Jason Tatum and Kawhi Leonard deserve to be in that conversation more than they have been. And then Donovan Mitchell is right there on the fringe as well. Mm. If the Cavaliers can keep up the level of play that they have had since the new year. But I, I mean, I'm not as confident in, in them maintaining that level of play as I am the Celtics and, and the Clippers. Yeah, I, I agree. I think ultimately, I think Kawhi has that that shot. I think the narrative is going to start to fire up a little bit more with, with Kawhi. Just you know, again, availability, probably the last real shot that he has at it. But, uh, but I'm with you. I, I do think, um, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander is, is kind of the guy uh, right now who has that inside track where there's a very clear path. If he does this and his team does that, the award is his. And then maybe we can revisit that discussion that Stephon Marbury uh, got going, saying that Shea is already the greatest Canadian basketball player of all time. But there's a guy uh, who won two MVPs in Phoenix that might have something to say about that. But we will get to that uh, 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 another time. As we wrap up here, you know what time it is. Shout outs. Who you got? My shout out is very simple this week. My shout out is just to real basketball being played. Because <laughs> over the last couple of days, Listen, man, I understand that, you know, we got to have the MVP narrative conversations and everything like that. But like, if I got to have another headline come across my timeline, that is like JJ Reddick calls out Doc Rivers, oh, who Patrick man. Beverly responds and Austin <laughs> Rivers responds to Patrick Beverly and JJ Reddick. And now Spencer Hall jumps bit, in. Yeah, Spencer Hall. I didn't even see that. I'm glad I didn't see that. I, I guess my timeline isn't going that deep. But then P- Kendrick Perkins has this big claim that he wants to make. And now Chandler Parsons is talking about it on Run It Back with Sean Strania. Like, listen, man, I understand mm. that like this is the stuff that we love. And don't get me wrong, I do love it. Like I I, I say it like half kiddingly because I do love it. We all do. Everybody likes to complain about how the newswire can be in the NBA sometimes and how it really is the best reality show on television. But like, it is. I'm ready to get some real basketball back, man. I mean, there's been enough conversations about how to fix the all-star game. There's been enough conversations about Doc Rivers' excuses. There's been enough conversations about just J- Jason Tatum deserves to be in the MVP conversation. Like, let's just get back to hoops, man. That's my shout out. I'm going to keep it simple this week. I love that. So last week we got we got the skills challenge. Shout out this week we get getting back to hoops. And it's very <laughs> funny. All the names you mentioned that were involved in this quote unquote feud have their own podcast that they could funnel people to. We don't have to get into feuds to get people to listen to NBA silences. And that's why we appreciate all of you guys uh subscribing. So shout out to y'all. My shout out this week is to a real hooper, Rui Hachimura, been hooping lately. Lakers put him back in the starting lineup six games ago. They're five and one. He's averaging 15 points per game, shooting 63.8% from the field and 40.9% from beyond the arc. I'm not going to say the free throw percentage because that would ruin the argument there, but <laughs> we'll get that together. Uh, but the last three games, averaging 24 points, shooting 69% from the field and 53% from three. Had a career high 36 points in Utah. We talked about the Lakers needing to turn things around and trying to replicate what they did last year. Um, it's been a little over a year since he's been with the Lakers now. Um, and he's a big part of what they're doing. Obviously, getting healthy is another big part of what they're doing, be it LeBron, be it Jerry Vanderbilt, and now Christian Wood out. But Rui Hachimura uh, is really kind of shaping into the player that the Wizards envisioned him uh, becoming when they took him with a top 10 pick. So shout out to him, and we'll see if he can continue to do that uh, for the Lakers as they go into the stretch run. Yeah, I think that's a great and very timely shout out too, just because like we already know LeBron's going to be out for that game against the Warriors. We don't know if he's going to play on the second night of a back to back against the Spurs. And, and I mean, whoever's listening to this, you know, those games might have already happened by the time that you tune in. So maybe LeBron does play against Wemby uh, in his 
first game against the Lakers in LA. Um, but that means we're going to see a lot of Rui Hachimura. And, you know, he, like you said, he's a player who, when he's playing well, he's an extremely important X factor for the Lakers. We saw him put up massive numbers in the playoffs last year when he got hot shooting the three ball. And that's the type of player that they need him to be. But this is also a good moment just to kind of bring back that, you know, it almost, I feel like it should have been investigated that the Wizards gave him to the Lakers for what they did. Like it was literally like Kendrick Nunn in like a second round pick or something like that. Like, I I mean, I could be wrong, but I I think that's all it was. Like there wasn't much more than that. And that was one of those that comes across your timeline. You're like, why are the Wizards helping the Lakers like this? And then like, here we are a year later. And like, you know, you just gave me a shout out as, 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 you know, for the contributions that he's made. I'm calling him an X factor for what he did in the playoffs last year. Like he's an every single day contributor. And I know part of that is because the Wizards knew they weren't going to be able to pay him. But still, you feel like they probably could have got more. It almost felt like they were doing the Lakers a favor. So that's a little curious. Maybe that's, you know, a good conspiracy theory pod or something like that. But I like to shout out. I think he's going to have, uh, you know, a big stretch here as LeBron tries to get that ankle right for the for the postseason push. So, you know, Rui Hachimura minutes are going to be very important to the Lakers. 100%. Hopefully we can keep the trend of shouting people out and then they make us look good uh, for the shout-outs we've given. We should go back at the end of the season and, and take a tally of what happened after we I was uh, already thinking that today. We're, we're, <laughs> see, oh, you read my mind, see, yeah. We're already on the same page. There we go. It's like the opposite of the South System Curse. It's like, I don't know what we got going, but it, but it, but it, but it's good. <laughs> that being said, thanks for tuning in to NBA Sound System. Once again, we appreciate everybody that subscribes to the podcast. Please continue to do so and rate the podcast. That's the best way to help us out. Continue to listen to the podcast. And also shout out to the folks at 604 Podcast Network. For Kyle Irving, my name is Gil McGregor. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's NBA Sound System. We will catch you same time, same place next week.